0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seifel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Wednesday, July 28th, and we've got a special episode in store for you today. I'm Dylan Lewis, but you will not be hearing from me for long. Last week was Fool Fest, Our annual this year virtual event open to all motley fool us premium members with a full day of programming featuring sessions on newsy topics like inflation the real estate market but we also focused on the foolish investing foundation of building a portfolio of 25 plus stocks and holding them for five or more years and we had our team pitch stock ideas about two dozen of them but one of my favorite sessions from the event was focused on the rise of retail investors Analyst Bill Mann, Maria Gallagher, and Alice Lomax walked through the advantages that average folks like you and me have as investors and the growing power and influence retail investors hold in the market. It was part macro discussion, part pep talk, and it seemed like the perfect conversation to share with our podcast listeners. We'll be doing that in just a second. Before that, a reminder, if you're a Motley Fool Premium member, you can access all of our FoolFest replays at our multimedia hub at live.fool.com. With that, here's Bill, Maria, and Alice with Retail Rise Up, The Hidden Power Individual Investors Hold.
1: Hi, Fools. Bill Mann here, and I'm joined today by Alice Lomax and Maria Gallagher, and we're going to talk about the hidden power that individual investors hold in the market, what we call the retail rise up. Over this last year, in fact, about a month ago, Uh, Robinhood came out with its its S1, it's planning on going public, and one of the really interesting things in that document was that they have 18 million live accounts, 47% of which is active every single month, and almost 9 million of those accounts did not have a brokerage account before they joined Robinhood truly what we've seen in 2020 is a is, is is a year in which the individual investor has gotten interested in the market and it's gotten to be a much bigger component of the market something that people need to pay attention to so what we're going to cover over this next uh, over this next 20 minutes with you all is i'm going to turn things over to Alice and to Maria we're going to talk about the power of the individual investor if you think about investing if you are buying and selling shares, you could potentially be buying from the largest fund in the world. You could be buying and selling from Warren Buffett, for all you know. We are all in the same arena together, buying and selling shares. But as we're going to discover, if you are an individual investor, you actually are a different player and you have some distinct advantages over the big investors out there. So Maria, I'm going to send this over to you first. Could you talk a little bit about the the advantages and the differences that retail investors have over institutional ones?
2: Yeah, of course, it's pretty fascinating. So just to make it clear what the difference between institutional investors and a retail investor, so institutions are pension funds, mutual funds, money managers, endowment funds, hedge funds, private equity investors, commercial trusts. And what really matters here is these are people who are investing for other people. They have some regulations they have to maintain um, in accordance with the SEC. When we're talking about retail investors, that's really anybody else. So those are generally people like us who are investing for them themselves with their own goals in mind, and something that's really important, and that's a distinction, is the time horizon. So, Retail investors, you can choose the amount of money, you can choose the the amount of stocks you invest in, you can choose how long you're going to buy and hold them for where you have much less of that control when your money is with an institution
1: it's really important so what you, so so what you just said i want to i want to drill down on something you maria can be both an individual investor and you can be an institutional investor if you are investing in mutual funds for example absolutely you are your your interface with the stock market is through that institution through that institutional asset now a lot of people you know a lot of people don't really realize that Institutions make up the vast majority of both the amount of assets held and the amount of shares that are traded each day. In some ways, we are quite small compared to institutions.
2: Yeah. Institutions are about three quarters of the volume of the trades on the New York Stock Exchange. So they are the majority.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that doesn't sound like a position of, of strength, Alice. I mean, yeah. we're, the, we're, the, we're the small fish. So why would we say that this is the rise of, of the individual investor, that the individual investor has power that institutional investors don't have?
3: Well, one thing that we have um, – is that we do have that gift of time, you know, we, we don't have to, to prove within a couple months that, you know, we're doing great, we can, we can hold. Um, Another thing that means a lot to me personally, is that we can invest, you know, with our own sort of, you know, moral compass in mind, we can choose, you know, certain stocks that fit our own our own capabilities there is a lot of power in that um, you know and it's interesting I know that we'll talk about this later but you know as a part owner you know there's there's proxy voting and you know for a long time it was it was arguable that a lot of investors were asleep at the wheel but we can be part of of that sort of democratic process as part owner to be voting our proxies
1: yeah and and, and, and that's all of that is incredibly important. And and, and you're exactly right. But if I, I want to put it into a bucket, because a lot of people think of you know, if I buy a mutual fund, even if I buy an index fund, which is an institutional product, even though it's a bunch of individual investors buying in and out, it's an institutional product. When you buy into, in, into an institutional product, you are tied to whatever the you know, what whatever the framework is. Of that institution, and you are also you also have exposure to whatever the beliefs are of all of the other investors in that asset, particularly as it comes to mutual funds, mutual fund uh, managers. And I say this as a recovering one, and I know that Maria also has had uh, has has done some time in the institutional world. Their timeframes are not their own. They, 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 are, they are held to account in timeframes that they may not find to be even appropriate. So uh, I like the way that you frame it, thinking about, thinking about investing in a way so that you can take all of your goals and you get to take charge of them. Uh, you mentioned ESG investing, and that is environmental, social, and governments. Yes. These are huge companies. Some of the companies that that, you know, that, that we are in, in, investing in are dominated by institutional investors. Why do we think that in, individual investors do have some degree, some degree, not just to choose what they own, but also to affect change at some of these large companies?
3: Yeah, there's been like a, a really interesting sea change over the last ten or fifteen years. Um, you know, 15 years ago, any kind of stakeholder-centric investing was viewed as, you know, a niche, and you you couldn't actually do well that way. And we have seen not only you know a rise of individual investing, but a rise in ESG investing. And a mm-hmm. lot of that is about a demographic shift with younger people who are more interested in companies doing right by the environment, by their employees, by communities. Um, and you know that has actually driven a lot of the growth in both companies that are looking at their businesses in a more stakeholder centric way and and investors including big institutions that are also looking at companies in that way and pushing for change so that has been like you know a, a big sea change that we can all participate in now you know now that that market has grown so much
1: i I, I think Maria that is so um morals based investing or you know or f- however you would like to describe it esg maybe is the is is the best term for it it has been co- it has gone from being a kind of nice thing and oh isn't that great to something that is required for companies
2: Yeah. So the uh, assets under management in sustainably focused funds near 2 trillion after this last quarter with an 185.3 billion inflow, which was up 17% from uh, quarter over quarter. And what's really fascinating is that ESG funds on average in the past year are up about 4.6% compared to a 1.1% gain for non-ESG funds. So not only are we seeing people excited about investing in their values and investing with their own moral compass, we're seeing that these companies within these funds are actually outperforming. So it is kind of proving that you can do well while doing good. And I think that that is just going to continue as we see the rise in retail investors. We see a synonymous rise with this ESG demand. And I think both of those things are going to continue. And it's kind of a chicken and an egg situation. Have companies started caring about stakeholders because they realize it's the right thing to do? Are they doing it because a lot of uh, new investors are really interested in this space? And so I think that's another way that there's a lot of power is there's a lot of power in what the retail investors are interested in. And that's really pushing a lot of change in reporting standards for companies and the way that funds are even created and produced produce. So I think that that's another really big, uh, powerful place for retail investors to be in.
1: I love that you. I, I I love that you made that 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 one inference, though. That I think it's so important when you think about what individual investors, uh, what individual investors' interests are. Because one, it is absolutely true. It's not just demographic. It's also the. It, it, it's also share of GDP of millennial investors, and millennials. By by the way, they aren't necessarily as young as we it you was know, as we thought that they once where some of you know the oldest millennials are now approaching 40 years of age right yeah. they are in they are in their prime uh asset gathering and investing stage they're coming into the moment so it's not necessarily the number of participants it's also the sheer dollar they have but i think the thing that was really interesting about what you said okay it was all interesting but this to me i think is really cool is is not so much that the individual investors are making the choices themselves, they are pushing institutional invest- investors to do it also. Which is why I started by saying, I don't think companies have a choice anymore about how they present uh, env- their environmental, social, and governance policies, what they're trying to do, because it is becoming a core element of what a larger component of the market is interested in. and That really started with individual investors.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and and you see with these individual investors and these retail investors that accounted for about seventy percent of sector inflows this year, they hold at times above a trillion dollars that they can deploy um, mm-hmm. in funds, in savings, and it's so- kind of a lot. It's kind of a lot. And so it's an incredibly powerful group of these retail investors. And you can see that they are really causing a lot of change in, in, like I said, the reporting standards. A lot of companies didn't have sustainability reports. And now I think over two-thirds of companies in the S&P have yearly sustainability reports. And that is because people want to see them and people are holding these corporations accountable. And that's really the retail investors are pushing that change.
1: Yeah. Uh, So Alice, so we're talking a little bit how this this creates some change on a systematic level but it's also something that's powerful for you as an individual investor so because it it if you are interested in investing on, on an esg basis you may be less interested in a large number of companies or trading in and out
3: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like um, over my years at The Fool, developing this kind of a lens to look at companies has actually really helped me with my temperament, it makes me feel more patient. If I feel good about my companies being very stakeholder centric, and sort of being very additive to the entire economy—not just my investment, but to the economy at large—they um, give me a sense of well-being. You know, when I look into their sustainability initiatives, I see a remarkable, a remarkable amount of. Innovation, I find that inspiring. I'm like, you know, look at what this company is trying to do. Um, And it does narrow my universe, you know, It, it reduces the noise. Like if I'm honing in on certain companies or industries, you know, there are some industries I just won't consider. And that's just, you know, I don't have to worry about those. So there are just ways that I feel like ESG investing can actually sort of, you know, not only help you sleep at night, but also just make you feel very, very comfortable, less worried about a big blow up, a big, you know, a big ESG blow up happening, <laughs> um, which sometimes I, happens. It, I don't know.
1: <laughs> it, it sometimes happens that companies are giving you a uh, giving you a fish story about what it is that they're doing. But it this does. I mean, it 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 really does. You know what? What wh- one of the really cool things about taking that on yourself is that you get to have a company that re- that you you get to have a portfolio that represents the the future that you would like to see? As David yes. Gardner always said, you know, always has so eloquently said, and and it's and it's a really you know it's it's a really incredible thing. But also, when you think about uh, when when you think about what you get to do versus what an institutional investor gets to do or what you have to do if you are invested with an individual uh, with with an institutional investor is that those time frames matter the time frames in which you hold securities matter and if you as a retail investor have the ability to say i am not going to worry about i'm going to buy 25 stocks i'm going to hold them for 5 years and at that point that's when i'm going to first start to really think about the accountability of what I have done, what choices I have made, I think you're going to end up in a much better place than investing with almost any institution.
2: It's a really exciting place to be, I think.
1: Yeah. I want to make sure that we cover, because we've talked a little bit about the rise of retail investors. We here at The Motley Fool feel like we've been here all along, I mean, you know, we've been here since the Middle Ages, since, you know, since since pricing in stocks was done in pencil. You know, um these last two years have been pretty fascinating and have been pretty remarkable in terms of both the amount of of individual investors who are taking an interest in the stock market, and then also the amount of the 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 amount of even just trading volume that, that we've seen as a result. Uh, Maria, are there inferences that you can make from, from, from that data? Yeah, I'm gonna see I- if you again can, uh, can recite the data from memory. The statistics you were pulling out earlier were fantastic. <laughs>
2: Uh, So I think something that you can really see where this shift has happened is that in late 2019, we see a lot of these individual investors began to be able to use free commission trading. And that was a pretty big barrier to entry for a lot of investors. And when we saw that shift, I think you've seen a really big increase in the amount of individual investors who can participate in in the stock market. And so just on a daily trading volume alone, the stock market in general is averaging about 15.2 billion shares daily, which is about 50% higher than last year's levels. And kind of anecdotally looking to those institutions, to those hedge funds, their volume hasn't changed that much. So a lot of that increase is due generally to the rise in retail investors. Uh, And so... There, there is this also really interesting way to look at it. Is um, there's something called the trade reporting facility, which are trades not done on exchanges. So they're trades routed to money makers, and so that's usually if you're using Robinhood or SoFi when you're selling your trades there that is generally those retail investors. And that's now making up almost half of all trading. And those trades at those retail brokers keep increasing. So we're seeing all of these different ways to measure the rise of just the sheer volume of retail investors. And so as that increases, the power of those retail investors increases as well. Do
1: you consider that, uh, that amount of volume? I mean, the volume, I'm talking about the actual shares traded to be a good thing or a bad thing or just a thing?
2: So that's a really interesting question. I think you, we see as we're seeing the rise of retail investors, we're seeing a lot of excitement in terms of trading. And so we'll see a lot of intraday trading and a lot of that type of mindset. And I think what's really important with us, as we've already talked about our long-term time horizon, we're investors, we're not traders. We really like to continue to hold for the long-term. and so. I think it's kind of a two-sided coin because I'm excited about the amount of volume in terms of how many people are engaged, but mm-hmm. I do uh, want the volume to be people who are buying things and planning to hold them, not so much those consistent traders. And so we're, I think hopefully it will um, eventually kind of even out to be to be more volume and maybe hopefully holding for that longer time horizon as well.
1: Yeah. And it's not just your hope. I mean, with science... It- there is plenty of statistical inference that shows that one of the worst things that, uh, that, that, that you can do, well, the worst thing you can do, let's, let, let, let's, let, let's draw it out, is to not invest. Yes. But if you're going to invest, and you should, one of the worst things, you know, one, of the, one, one, of the, one of the most perfect correlations is the more you trade, the less well you do over time. It is, a, you know, it is, it is a straight line, which is why, perhaps apocryphally, one of the things that gets mentioned quite a bit is the is that the portfolios that tend to do best are ones that people have forgotten about, or the people themselves have passed away. So, so the volumes itself might not be might might not be the thing that uh, you know that we consider to be most powerful and to be the 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 thing that is most important it's really has to do with the the amount of people the individuals who are in the stock market and that also i think we've got some statistics has gone up remarkably
3: i just wanted to date myself for a minute and talk about you know <laughs> living through you know the dot com era and yeah. looking around today and saying well people seem to be a little bit speculative and you know part of me wants to get a little bit you know a little bit judgmental about it, but then I'm like, well... Ah! (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like I've seen this show, I've lived it. I did silly things myself, but then I'm kind of like, well, I like the idea of people getting involved and, you know, maybe everybody has to take a few knocks and then learn to be a long-term investor. Like we do at the fool because, you know, finding the Motley Fool, like saved me from myself when I used to be more of a, a trader.
1: I, I think it's super important for people to note when they hear from us here, here at the Motley Fool, a lot of us, a lot of us didn't come to Motley Fool style investing. Out of the gate, we tried some stuff.
3: <laughs> we did. We tried
1: some stuff. It didn't go well,
3: right? <laughs> and I couldn't
1: sleep. And now I can sleep, and it's gone much, much better. Yeah. Uh, so, fools, we 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 have probably a minute left. I want to make sure that we you know that that, that that we hit the the biggest points as we talk about the rise of the in, of, of the individual investor. So, Alice. Do you think this is a revolution? Is this something that's happened because the market has gone up? And do you consider this to be a good thing?
3: Um, You know what? I... It's interesting. Back in the winter, when the game stock and the meme stock stuff started, um, there was a narrative around that about a revolution, you know, little investors, you know, sticking it to the man or, you know, stubbing the toe of the hedge funds. And, you know, my thought was I am all about some positive revolutions, but in my opinion, a better revolution is to buy stakeholder centric companies and hold them for the long term. So I do, I do think there is a revolution at hand. I just hope that it shifts in a certain way with patient money and encouraging stakeholder centric economic value add types of companies. So
1: fantastic. Uh, Maria, it's, you know, this is very hard to me for me, really, really hard. I'm going to give you the last word.
2: Wow. Thank you.
1: (laughs) What is it five years from now? If we look at what has happened during 2020, five years from now, what environment in the stock market makes you happy and feel like we have done a good thing and and individual investors are on the right path?
2: I think it's continuing to be vocal about your interests. I think it's continuing for inflows to be in uh, in these types of institutions that vote in the way that you want to see and that you respect and, and you're a critical thinker. I think the best thing to be as an investor is to be a critical thinker and ask a lot of really hard and really interesting questions. And I think that that's what's most exciting is a lot of these new retail investors are not just blindly coming into the market. They're coming in with questions and they're demanding answers, and I think as that continues news That's something I'm really excited to see in the next five and 10 years, what, what that environment looks like.
0: Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com or tweet us at MF Industry focus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today. And thank you for listening. Until next time, fool on.